0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And my name is Julie Douglas.
1: And this week we have been super busy Mm
0: -hmm. on
1: a new and exciting product. Do you want to tell everybody what this is?
0: Yes, it is something called Stuff to Blow Your Kid's Mind. And it's a video series. It's being sponsored by BASF. And we have been hard at work along with our video crew here, immensely talented video crew, I should say. We've been just putting together episodes that are uh, based on experiments out there that kids do and then kind of talking about the ramifications of the, you know, physics or the science behind those experiments in our daily lives. And it's been really cool.
1: Yeah, we uh, we've put together ten of these puppies in an absurdly short period of time, mm-hmm. but we're really excited about the product because each one is like three segments. The first segment is that experiment where we do like sometimes it's something as simple as a science lab volcano kind of a thing,
0: or rubbing a balloon on your hair, right, and making it stick up.
1: Yeah, yeah, which we're, was
0: pretty awesome because that's not a... something I normally do to your hair. <laughs> yes,
1: it's not. So in the first segment, we conduct these experiments, and then we do two additional segments where we really get into the stuff-to-blow-your-mind kind of territory with these experiments and talk about how the properties that are illustrated in the experiment relate to you and how they relate you to the cosmos. That's what's really going to be exciting about them, is, is that we kick off with something potentially a little explosive, potentially a little goofy, and then we we try and bring you to that wow moment.
0: Mm-hmm. And we hope we do this. We hope that kids really like it, that they don't throw tomatoes at their iPod screens. Yeah. But I think, you know... And if you're a parent...
1: Just- Watch them, and you can cheat. You can (laughs) watch it on your own time and then pretend that you knew all this when you do the experiment with your kid. We don't mind.
0: So we thought we would take some of the elements that we talked about and and bring them to you guys because we thought, well, this is interesting stuff. Like, you know, what about rainbows and why is the sky blue? And uh, what about the aurora borealis and all the other weird things that happens with light and uh, liquids and refraction?
1: Yeah, I mean, all this information is just going to drain out of, our, out of our brains anyway. So as long as it's up there, we might as well <laughs> throw it at a podcast. It is fascinating information because we're, t- we're dealing with, on one level, we live in a world of light. We have our sun beaming all this light to the earth. Mm-hmm. Light is the means by which we visually sense the world around us. But everything's not quite what it seems. We perceive things in a certain way, and then we end up accepting that that is reality. But uh, there are a number of ways that we can sort of see through the behaviors of of light and gain a little more insight into exactly what's going on.
0: But before we do that, I want to talk about sunlight itself. Because, you know, we all take it for granted. It's beaming down, gives us a nice sunburn or, I don't know, warms up. uh, A nice sunburn. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. warms us up on a a cold day. Um, Okay, yeah, it's not the 70s. It doesn't really give us a nice sunburn. Hopefully it doesn't. I think that we should talk about the photons and how they emerge from the sun.
1: Right. Well, we think of light, or it's easy to, to think of light as, as instantaneous. You know, you flip in the light switch and then light is there. But sunlight is traveling from the sun to the earth. These photons that make up light are traveling through space and they are bombarding us, bouncing off of us, in fact. when they hit us.
0: It turns out that we know how long it takes for the stream of light to actually hit the Earth. We know this because we know the distance from the Earth to the sun. We know the speed of light. So it only takes eight minutes and 20 seconds for us to reach us after traveling, what, 92 million miles or something. Which I think is absolutely fascinating.
1: Huh. So if you you were to turn the sun off, it would be eight minutes before you'd really get the idea that, whoa, the sun is off because now the light has run
0: out. Yeah, yeah, you'd have a slight delay there, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, and it would be terrifying. <laughs> like, who turned the sun off? But here's a really cool thing, too, that uh, those photons are actually kicking around in the sun for about, eh, I mean, there are different accounts on this, but anywhere from like 10,000 years to you know 20,000 years before they get to emerge to the surface of the sun and then make that 8-minute and 20-second journey. And the reason for that is because when a photon is in the center of the sun, it's just sort of getting pinball machined around. Right, uh, Reabsorb, emitted, reabsorb, emitted, reabsorb, emitted. So you know that when that photon gets to the surface, it's like, oh, finally.
1: Yeah, it's like it's in the sun. It's kind of like a like a boxer before a match in the back, just kind of like punching the air, you know, doing a little shadow boxing, like, let's do this, getting pumped up. And then, wham, finally, after after this immense amount of time, launched towards the Earth, rips through the atmosphere, and then slams into like a little solar power on top of one of those plastic squirrels that you see people putting their, their lawn that glow.
0: The nice. that photon yeah. powers
1: that, and now the journey has ended.
0: Yeah, and th- they probably talk about it for all those years.
1: I powered the heck out of that squirrel. I
0: wonder where I'm going to end up. <laughs> a squirrel, a, sol- a solar squirrel. But anyway, we thought that was kind of cool to share with you guys, and we thought that would help to talk a little bit more about these other, what seem like optical illusions, uh, rainbows and our blue sky above.
1: Well, let's get into rainbows. A scientist by the name of Kermit T. Frog wants mm-hmm. to that rainbows are visions. Uh, but only illusions and rainbows have nothing to hide. Do rainbows really have nothing to hide?
0: That pot of gold, I've yet to find it.
1: <laughs> well, yes, that's true. As we were discussing earlier, if rainbows really did rise from a pot of gold, does that mean there are two pots of gold, two pots of leprechaun gold on the earth at any given time to facilitate a rainbow? And if there's only one pot of gold, the rainbow can't have two in?
0: Here, here's where I'm going to shatter that the okay. pot of gold okay. uh, question for you all together. Rainbows actually appear as halos, not these sort of half arcs that we see. Um, Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So if you were to go above the clouds and look down, you would see that a rainbow is actually a halo, a circle, a giant one. And then when we're here on the ground, we look up at the horizon, we're only seeing a portion of that because, of course, we don't have, first of all, the inner machinery to try to perceive that. And sort of the earth is kind of in our way, blocking our view of that entire halo.
1: You know, occasionally you'll even see an inverted rainbow. Were you aware of this?
0: I've heard of this.
1: this. It's crazy, and it's caused by sunlight shining through atmospheric ice crystals. It's rarely encountered at latitudes far from Earth's poles. But you have these upside-down rainbows where the sunlight shines through these tiny ice crystals through high-altitude clouds. And it creates this, uh, I guess, you think of it as like a smiley face. It's turning the frown of the rainbow upside down. That's beautiful. It is. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about this process, this bending of light. Or, uh, as you have referred to it before, is shattering white light. Right. Seeing what it's made
1: of. So think of it this way. White light is a lie. Uh, and, uh, and the the raindrop, or a prism, or uh, any kind of prism-like device, it takes that white light and it breaks it up. We're breaking it up with with some droplets and turning it into the seven different wavelengths that make it up.
0: Right. So there are seven components of light, and you may know them as Roy G. Biv. Uh, You probably learned that in school. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And they all have different wavelengths. So when they bend, they all kind of behave differently. And you've got red, right, and violet bookending the colors in Mm -hmm. rainbow. And red is the strongest, while violet is just a, a little bit hazier.
1: Okay. I always thought Roy G. Biv would be a good name for a leprechaun, too. Like, Roy G. Biv.
0: Yeah, I can see yeah. it on his little outfit. Oh, I think it's
1: like his his name tag, mm-hmm. like he's at a convention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure it's been done. Uh, there's also a really great Boards of Canada track called Roy G. Biff. So, there, there you
0: go. go. So think about that. You think about that prism. You think about those raindrops up in the sky acting as tiny prisms and uh, refracting that light and then, uh, you know, that light bouncing off the side of that raindrop and then further refracting it and reflecting it. Yeah, and that's why you get this like incredibly cool vision in the sky.
1: You know uh, what other skies may have rainbows in in our solar system? What? If you travel to Saturn's moon Titan, scientists think you might be able to see a rainbow because it boasts both sunlight and water droplets.
0: So it could happen it could in happen. theory. Yeah,
1: yeah. Go, so if you travel to Titan, <laughs> keep a lookout.
0: Okay, so that gives us some insight into rainbows. When we come back from our break, we're going to ask the question. Why is the sky blue?
1: And we're back. Why is the sky blue? I believe it was magician, comedian, night court star Harry Anderson who answered this question by saying, if the sky were green, we wouldn't know when to stop mowing.
0: That's right. Which
1: is a valid (laughs) commentary on the optical world. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's it's actually a little more complicated than that. The reason that the sky is blue relates right back to these uh, different wavelengths in light.
0: That's right. So atoms, molecules, and particles in the atmosphere absorb and scatter light. Okay, Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk not specifically like we were with a rainbow, but we're talking about that huge expanse of blue sky above us. And again, we're talking about the components of light, ROYGBIV, and those different wavelengths that scatter throughout the atmosphere which means that some are better spotted by our eyes than others, and this is called Rayleigh scattering. Shorter wavelengths, like blue and violet, actually scatter a lot more than long ones when particles like oxygen and nitrogen molecules are relatively small. Okay, so that's why blue and violet are pretty much dominating the sky for us, because that's what we're perceiving. It's what scatters throughout that atmosphere. But, I mean, you probably are asking the question, well, if that's the case, then why don't I look up at a sky that's all sort of Monet, you know, blue and purple splotches? Yeah, yeah. why do I
1: get that one color? And it comes down to the limits of our our eyes and the Mm -hmm. limits of our brain Mm -hmm. to process all of this information.
0: Yeah, because the cones in our eye see an overlap in these two colors, I mean, it's really, again, it's limitations of the machinery that we have. So it's sort of like our eyes are interpreting this information for us and saying, ah, okay, this must be this one color blue. And I love this idea that uh, almost within our brain we have a painter mm-hmm. mixing these colors, the blue and the purple and white, and coming up with this blue sky for us.
1: Yeah, it's kind of simplifying the process. It's like, uh, what, what do we have coming in? Ah, uh, well, There's a little violet. We're just going to call it blue. Yeah, going to simplify things. We've got enough to worry about sense-wise. We're not yeah, going to worry yeah. about the sky. It's really not doing much for us. So.
0: Yeah, this brain is taking up yeah. a lot of energy as it is. Let's just say blue. <laughs> and then it's so cool to think that every single day you get a different shade of this this painterly blue, depending on how cloudy it is, how mm-hmm. much sun there is. Uh, I find it fascinating.
1: I remember always finding like a really blue sky kind of depressing. Like I'm more of a cloud guy. I like a, I like mm-hmm. a nice cloudy, overcast day, mm-hmm. or even if it's. I mean, I, I, I like sunlight as much as the next guy, and my body needs it. But even then, I like I like a sun with a little clouds mixing it up. But like a really endlessly blue, monotonously blue sky is there's something just kind of it weighs on you.
0: Okay, here's the weird thing, Robert Lamb. Yeah. You wear blue all the time. Sky blue, in fact, you're wearing it right now. You don't wear the same blue shirt every day, but you have like 10 of those that various well,
1: shade. Well, yeah, well, it's a color that looks good on me, I'm told by my wife. So Okay. But but or maybe that's the thing. Maybe I since I wear blue a lot, I'm a little concerned when the sky is dressed the same as me.
0: You're afraid that someone's going to a bird is going to mistake you for this guy,
1: Or just that, oh, look at that guy. He's in the sky dressed the same. They're just a couple of Twinkies.
0: All right. Uh, so one other quickie for you guys, Northern Lights. Uh, those are those dazzling Arctic and Antarctic displays. Colorful sheets of light transforming the endless winter skies, right? Yeah.
1: If you catch uh, any of the Discovery BBC co-production uh, Frozen Planet, there's an episode that deals with the Northern Lights and they use some time-lapse stuff and just fabulous filmography to, to capture the northern lights. So definitely check that out if you for a visual interpretation of what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, and uh, these actually form when solar particles are thrown out by explosions on the sun and are drawn by the Earth's magnetic field toward the north and south poles, mm-hmm. colliding with atmospheric gases to emit photons or light particles. And I just found that pretty cool because we recently talked about magnets, magnetic fields, mm-hmm. north and south pole, and how all of this sort of helps us to not be bombarded by all of the sun's solar junk. Uh-huh. But uh, it's very cool to know that it's also part of this, again, painterly sky in some climes of the world.
1: What is kind of sad about the Northern Lights is that my family, when I was younger, we lived in Canada for a little bit. I think I mentioned it before. We, mm-hmm. my, my dad was a dentist up in uh, Newfoundland, Canada, so it's pretty far north. And I know on at least one occasion, like we went out and made a special trip to glimpse the Northern Lights. And supposedly we saw them, but it didn't really make, I was like in kindergarten at the time, and it didn't make a real impression on me. And I don't really have a firm memory of what it may have looked like. Hmm. So I always find that kind of sad because people are like, oh, did you get to see the Northern Lights? And I'm like, yeah, I, I did. And I'm like, well, what do you think? It didn't make an impression.
0: I think you need to implant a memory there.
1: Well, to a certain extent, I do. And you know, this, of course, we've done all podcasts about memory, but but then I hear stories about us going to see the Northern yeah, Lights. So yeah. I create this vision of my family standing there. And then I see these brilliant time-lapse videos of the Northern Lights. So I kind of throw that in there. Yeah, and then yeah. I throw this vision of me just like standing around daydreaming, looking at the ground instead of looking up at the brilliance in the heavens.
0: Again, that's the thing that I find fascinating is this idea that our brain is interpreting the information that we see, and it's not really... The reality always, right? You've uh, got memory, and then you just have the limitations of what we've been given or what we have evolved with, and so yeah, I mean, the sky isn't necessarily blue.
1: Huh. Here's another quick rainbow fact: the Babylonian goddess Ishtar wears rainbows as kind of a fancy necklace, and there's a delight. off. <laughs> and there's a delightful rainbow bridge that connects the Norse realms of Asgard and Midgard. Which I think they do something with that in the Thor comic books and the Thor movie as well.
0: But well, you have to take down some of the, that masculine energy there with yeah. some rainbows. what are
1: rainbows about? Ah, that's, that's what we ride our horses over when we troll up into war. That's right. Troll up into war. I don't know what I'm saying anymore.
0: Uh, well, you know what? That's what happens when you do 10 videos back-to-back. Okay, this is some of the stuff that we learned, and we may continue to bring some other items that we covered as well to you guys, but have a lookout for these videos. also wanted to mention that Matt Frederick, our producer here, created the music for that, and it's really cool.
1: Indeed, so keep a lookout for those. We'll throw some links up on the Facebook and the Twitter for sure so that you can view these and show them to your kids yourself. Well, let's call the robot over. Give us some of that sweet listener mail. Here's one from... Madeline, Madeline writes in and says, "Hey, Robert and Julie, just thought I would say thanks for all the great podcasts. I've been listening to them and really enjoying them for a while now, and I thought I should finally take the time to say thanks. I think you guys pick great topics, always very interesting and fun. You two can also be quite funny. You make me laugh a lot. I like the random bits of personal stories and etc. that sometimes are in your podcast too. You both seem very cool. I'm a 16 year old girl from Michigan. Hey, that's uh your home state, yeah, right? Yeah, woo woo." I found your podcast on the Zoom Marketplace a long time ago and have been enjoying them ever since. I liked you guys on Facebook just now. Oh, there it goes. Just watch them register. Um, I love your photos. It's funny to see the faces of people I've been listening to for months. You both look great. Well, this. this oh, yeah, and I it's just I hope you guys keep up the great work. I learn a lot of interesting stuff listening uh, to your podcast. I'm often thinking about it in the boring moments of school for days after. Thanks a lot. Madeline.
0: Very cool. Thanks for listening, Madeline. I do think that's interesting that, you know, we have so many younger listeners and they, they all sort of make that similar statement of, you know, it kind of helps enrich my my life as I'm sitting in school. And we just did a podcast on sloth
1: mm-hmm. and talked
0: about daydreaming. So if we can help your daydreams and make them better, then that's awesome.
1: Yeah, indeed. So if you want to reach out to us, if you want to connect with us, you can certainly find us on Facebook where we are stuffed to Blow Your Mind. And you can also find us on Twitter, where we are blow the mind.
0: And you can also drop us a line at blowthemind@discovery.com. At Be sure to check out our new video podcast, "Stuff from the Future." Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.